Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking with Nicholas Carnes, who is the author of White Collar Government, Hidden Role of Class in Economic Policymaking. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Real pleasure to have read the book and now to talk to you. Before we get to it, uh, maybe you could tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you've been, and you know, uh, you know what's your background? Well, I'm an assistant professor of public policy at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. Um, I grew up uh, in Pittsburgh, Kansas, uh, which is a little town in southeast Kansas, then went to college at the University of Tulsa, uh, then graduate school at Princeton before uh, starting here at Duke. Yeah, and, and you are um, you have left some things out that you did not leave out of the book. Your bio in the book, which I hope people uh, will have the chance to, to read fully, says that you were also in your past a cashier, a busboy, a dishwasher, a receptionist, and a construction worker, um, you either either are in your mid seventies now, or you bounced around a little bit before you got to Duke. Um, is this part of your background at all? What led you to re- write this book? Absolutely. Um, you know, I did a lot of these kinds of manual labor, service industry jobs in high school and college, um, and then when I got to graduate school. Um, I was I was at Princeton and sort of for the first time I was around uh, people who had never done, you know, these kinds of jobs. And um, and, you know, as we started talking politics, I started realizing, gosh, you know, we actually have a different perspective on a lot of issues. Uh, you know, me and my classmates um, would, would, you know, bring very different views to the table when it came to things like minimum wage, labor rights, uh, you know, health care. Um, and so, yeah, actually, this was sort of the motivation for the book uh, uh, originally was was I started thinking, OK, you know, if we're different in these ways, uh, is the same thing true for politicians? Yeah, and, and your your take is, is so is so interesting. And and you begin your book with with I thought uh, were some bold and, and really surprising comments on the existing literature. Um, is it really the case that nobody has studied the relationship between social class and legislative behavior? Um, I found it really interesting the way in which you you explained what what has gone before this book. Maybe you could just characterize the the existing literature, what what has come before what you have written. Yeah, this was a little bit of a surprise to me, too. So I was in graduate school and I was, you know, sort of getting interested in these questions. And when I started looking for research on this topic, um, I really couldn't find very much. Um, There was a book published by the congressional scholar Donald Matthews. uh, that said, you know, essentially politicians are a lot better off uh, than the people they represent in the U.S. Um, and someone should study whether politicians from different classes behave differently in office. Um, but that book was actually published three decades before I was born. Uh, and in the intervening time, no one had followed up on this suggestion. No one had taken, you know, Donald Matthews uh, uh, idea um, um, 
and actually done the research. And that was a bit of a, you know, that was a big surprise uh, to me, but also, you know, an opportunity um, to, to hopefully contribute something to the literature on legislative decision making, descriptive and substantive representation, um, the politics of inequality. Um, but it was a surprise that, that no one had um, that no one had had done this work before. And and what what does this gap in the literature prevent us from fully understanding? Um, it's one thing to say people haven't pursued it, but there's a lot of people things people haven't pursued. What what has this gap prevented us from knowing? Um, what's what what motivates this? Well, so you know, as I started looking at the sort of descriptive makeup of our political institutions. What I was finding is that in almost every level and branch of government in the U.S., politicians are a lot better off than the people they represent. Um, and, and that's true, you know, from, from, you know, Congress on down to your city council. And it's also true over time. Um, if you look at Congress in 1901, working class people are virtually absent. If you, you know, fast forward to the present day, same thing, but working class people are, are, uh, almost totally absent from Congress. And so, so, you know, I argue in the book, this is really a defining feature of our political process. Uh, uh, the fact that sort of white collar professionals and very affluent people are the ones actually getting into our political institutions. That's, that's a rare constant in American political history. And so I think, you know, it's important to understand how that affects public policy, how that affects the decisions our political institutions uh, make. You do a lot of statistical research in the book. You measure a lot of things. Um, and I wonder if one of the ways that you can tell, uh, help explain what you found is by using the case of Congresswomen Linda and Loretta Sanchez. How did these two sisters help, to help us to understand what you found in your statistical research? Well, so Linda and Loretta Sanchez are, are a really interesting case. Um, in 2003, uh, for the first time ever, we had two sisters serving in Congress simultaneously, Linda and Loretta Sanchez. Um, and what's really interesting about the two of them is they're very similar on, on virtually everything we might think would, would influence their choices in office. Uh, they were raised by the same parents. They went to the same schools, same race, ethnicity, gender, religion. They represent very similar uh, congressional districts, but there's an enormous difference between their occupational backgrounds. Um, so Loretta Sanchez uh, got an MBA and became uh, a businesswoman. And Linda Sanchez did working class jobs and then uh, worked to, for the AFL-CIO. So she works for a labor union. And even though these two sisters are very similar in, in sort of virtually every way we could care about, they really look different on economic issues. Um, Loretta Sanchez uh, uh, is a little more conservative, a little more pro-business. Linda Sanchez, uh, the union organizer, is a little more pro-worker, a little more liberal. And, and you know, sort of those two give us a really clean comparison uh, or sort of a, a really an easy way to see the differences between politicians um, from different social classes or different occupational backgrounds. Now, throughout the book, you know, I try to generate similar comparisons using large samples. I, I pull together every source of quantitative data on the occupational backgrounds of politicians in the U.S. that I can find, everything from Congress down to, to state legislatures and city councils. Um, but Linda and Loretta Sanchez, sort of the differences between them are typical of the kinds of differences I see 
you know, when I look at a big sample and I do a regression model or I do a matching exercise. Uh, uh, and, and so I talk about those two in chapter two of the book because they just nicely summarize what I'm seeing in sort of the larger quantitative analysis. Right. And your analysis is not just limited to legislative voting behavior, uh, which is which would be the obvious. Oh, well, do legislators vote differently on on certain bills? But you also feature other aspects of the life of a legislator. Um, you suggest that former blue collar workers um, must be and you quote, uh, shout to be heard. Um, what do you mean by this? Uh, what outside of uh, voting uh, do we care about and, and what outside of voting might we observe these differences between so-called uh, white collar legislators and and what you describe as blue collar legislators, those that have worked in a variety of jobs, not just come up through uh, uh, what is, is essentially the, the typical path? Well, so one of the things I do in the book is I compare legislators who did manual labor or service industry jobs to legislators who did, you know, white collar jobs and, and especially those who worked in the private sector. And in one chapter, I look at how the legislators vote on economic issues and I find big differences. Uh, the, the fact, you know, that a person did a blue collar job, uh, when they make it to Congress, they tend to vote. Uh, uh, more liberally on economic issues. Um, but I also try to look in another chapter at the kinds of bills legislators introduce and how hard they work to pass them and how likely they are to succeed. And what I find there is that legislators from the working class, you know, they, they tend to cast more progressive votes. They also tend to introduce more progressive bills. But the really striking thing about them, uh, when we look at what they're doing sort of behind the scenes or what they're, what they're doing, you know, in the pre-vote stages of the legislative process, is that legislators from the working class um, seem to be building larger coalitions or seem to be recruiting more co-sponsors or investing more energy in, in passing uh, their economic reforms than legislators who, who from white collar backgrounds who build smaller coalitions who, when they introduce economic policies. Um, so what I basically say is, you know, legislators from the working class seem to be investing more effort in passing economic legislation. But the really interesting thing is that um, although they're investing more effort, they're they're not passing more economic legislation. So a legislator from the working class is introducing more progressive bills, but has to work twice as hard to pass the same number of, of economic bills as a legislator from a white-collar background. So that's why I say in the book, you know, legislators from the working class essentially have to shout to be heard. Um, now, they're not the only historically underrepresented group that's had this uh, a similar experience. We know that women and racial and ethnic minorities in our legislatures uh, often have to work harder to pass the same number of bills. Um, but this is a pretty striking finding um, um, and something that really suggests that if you're a blue collar worker, you're disadvantaged at every stage of the legislative process. There are fewer people like you in office. Um, there are fewer people voting the way you would vote. And uh, the legislation that's coming from people like you, from you know law- lawmakers from the working class, is, is facing more of an uphill battle uh, in our legislatures. You, you do a really interesting, uh, offer an interesting perspective in Chapter 4. Um, one might uh, wonder whether policy preferences uh, simply change once, in, once you arrive in Washington. Those with a white-collar background might, might somehow change their views uh, from their, their uh, professional background to something else. 
Um, and, and you talk about interest groups that represent blue collar workers and they can provide lots of information to try to uh, inform white collar legislators about what they might not know because they hadn't experienced that in the past. Does that happen? Uh, are there changes of, of attitude uh, once legislators uh, get to Washington? Do they formerly white collar workers uh, become different in their attitudes once they arrive? Well, so this is a really common um hunch in some of the literature on like power elite theory. The idea uh, that's, is that if you come from the working class and you get into office, eventually you'll be co-opted. You'll, you'll, you'll look just like all the white policy professionals the longer you, you know, longer you work as a politician. And the thing I find in white collar government is that that actually doesn't seem to be the case. Um, politicians from the working class, they seem to bring a different perspective. And that difference in perspective seems to persist throughout their careers. Um, so, so, you know, what that suggests is if you're an interest group um, uh, and you're trying to, say, pass pro-worker policies, one strategy you might pursue is um, trying to educate politicians and change their minds. Um, but, but what really, you know, another strategy you might pursue sort of based on what I'm finding is you might try to get politicians in office who already share your perspective on economic issues. So if you're a pro-worker group, you might just try to get working class legislators in the first place because it does seem like um, they bring a different perspective that's more in line with what pro-worker groups want, and it persists for, for decades. This is, you know, this, um, these findings, I think, are so, so interesting, and, and I think the way you put them together is really interesting. Um, what, do we, what do we make from this about the larger questions we have about representation? Um, what, what does a blue-collar citizen or blue-collar voter, uh, non-legislator, what might they make of these findings that, that, that you come to. Um, help us make sense of this. Sure. Well, a lot of people are worried about sort of the disproportionate political influence of the, the rich or the wealthy in the United States. So, so political scientists are concerned about it. Political observers are concerned about it. Every, everybody seems to know that in Washington, rich people have uh, uh, more influence. And right now, a lot of people are trying to figure out what, you know, what types of policies or reforms uh, it would take to, to sort of level the playing field. And the most common suggestions that are out there right now tend to focus on either getting a handle on the flow of money in politics or um, somehow equalizing routine forms of political participation. If we could just get the money out of Washington, you know, things would be better. If we could just get everybody to the polls on Election Day, uh, uh, poor people would have more of a voice in the political process. I think both of those suggestions are, you know, spot on, and there's lots of research to support, you know, um, um, both proposals. But what I think um, is, is to me, sort of most interesting and exciting about research on the demographic characteristics of politicians is that you, you know, it really represents uh, another strategy for accomplishing this goal of giving sort of ordinary middle and working class Americans more of a voice in our political process. One way to do that is to get millions of additional people to the polls, or, or one way to do that is to pass campaign finance reform uh, and lobbying reform. But, but all those are really just, just incredibly challenging in practical terms, um, um, especially you know, in a post-Citizens United world. It's just so hard to get a, a handle on the flow of money in politics. By comparison, getting more working-class Americans into political office seems to me 
like like a relatively straightforward reform. If we want to make government more responsive to the interests of middle and working class people, one solution that reformers aren't really trying right now, but I think they could, is getting more middle and working class people to run for office and to hold office. And to me, that's that's exciting, uh, um, and it's an interesting possibility. But it's one that that you know really isn't being discussed. I don't think as much as it should be. By by progressive reformers, by by people who care about the quality of government. Yeah, well, we're about ten months out from the uh, 2014 congressional election, so there's still time for someone who has an interest in in running to uh, to put themselves uh, in a position to do it. I I think the book is really very interesting. What do we have next from you? Uh, the book is out. What's next on your desk? Is there another project on this topic, or are you? going to be branching out into something else. Tell us about uh, what, what can we look forward to from you. Well, so white collar government really says it matters that there are so few working class Americans getting into political office. That has serious consequences for economic policy, for who wins and who loses in the U.S. Um, I think the one obvious follow up question is if it's so important that working class people almost never get into office, why do working class people almost never get into office? And so one of the major research projects I'm starting right now is trying to investigate the factors that are keeping middle and working class Americans from running for uh, running for and and winning elected offices in the United States. Um, now, that's a really challenging question to answer. And so um, I've been fielding surveys the last few years. Uh, in 2012, I ran a survey of every state legislative candidate in the country with uh, a few co-PIs, Melody Crowdermeyer, Chris Scobrin, and David Brockman. And we asked every state legislative candidate in the country lots of questions based on our different research interests. And I was interested in, you know, what classes they came from and what made it easy and hard to run. Um, we're also surveying, uh, we just finished a national survey of the chairs of every county level political party in the country. So we're asking gatekeepers their attitudes about working class candidates and, and whether they, you know, recruit or, or support or discourage people from the working class uh, who are interested in running for office. Um, and I'm also doing some national sort of opinion surveys. And I think long term, I'd really like to get into, you know, doing some work actually uh, implementing programs that would identify and recruit and train working class candidates um, and studying, you know, their effects. Um, and I think long term, that combination of sort of different uh, uh, different types of evidence um, will help me get a get a handle on this question of what's really keeping working class people out of office. Yeah, it's, uh, I look forward to that, uh, in part because I enjoyed the book so much. Uh, Nick's book, White Collar Government, The Hidden Role of Class in Economic Policymaking, not only is it very interesting as a um, very clever cover to the book, uh, it was, the book was published in 2013 by University of Chicago Press. Nick, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me, Heath.